Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. As we finish our teaching in spiritual warfare and the full armor of God. So some of you were aware that I had my own uh, trial this week. Uh, some of you may have heard Wednesday. I'll just let you know I told first service. I'll share it with you. So um, went to a birthday party last Saturday for my uh, I guess it would be great niece. And uh, we're at the party, you know, it was outdoors, we're away from everybody. And unfortunately, one person at the party was there for like 20 minutes, they came and left, um, no symptoms or anything. Well, they ended up testing positive for COVID. So because of that, we turned around and said, whoa, we pulled back. And I was not with you on Wednesday and I was not within the school and my wife stayed home. And we waited till we got that negative test this morning, which came at uh, like seven o'clock. So just in time that we could get here this morning. So uh, praise the Lord, we're here. Obviously everybody's negative, nobody's sick. We didn't have any symptoms, but, um, but we wanted to just take the precautions. So I thank you all for your prayers. I thank everybody in the church office for their prayers. And I thank everybody in the school because we wanna do all things heartily unto the Lord. And we want to just be precautious and safe and do the right thing. So I'm glad you're with us this morning. Um, if you need Bibles, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible if there's anyone needs. If there's a water, you need a water, there's water in the back. Help yourself. And we're just glad you're here to study the Word of God, to be under the Word of God, the truth that's going to set us free. So let's bow our heads. We'll pray and we'll begin this morning. Father, we just thank you for your holy word. God, we know where there is light, darkness cannot coexist. We know, God, when you are in control, and you always are, Jesus, that we can rest in that, Lord, because you're sovereign and you're mighty and powerful. God, thank you that you have given us your word, the true truth that we need today. Jesus, I pray you'll speak to the hearts and anoint your word here this morning to open eyes and ears to what your spirit might have to say. Lord, I pray that all things would be done in decency and order. And I pray, God, you would speak to your people and I would just get out of the way. Lord, we pray for those in our government. We pray for those that are protesting and our riders. We pray for, Lord, all of those that need encouragement this morning. I especially think of Keith, who's going in tomorrow, Lord, for a heart surgery. Just be before him this morning, Lord. Calm his heart and mind. We pray for Lord Bob as he's home caring for his lovely wife, Renee. We pray for Renee that her cancer would be removed, Jesus, and you would heal and restore. And Lord, there's just so many that, that need prayer. I think of Mrs. Morgan and her ankle and uh, Mrs. McEvers and her knees when she tripped. And Lord, I just ask you to go before all of those in this flock here, your flock, that you will heal and restore, that you will bring light, Lord, and Lord, just renewed minds, restored minds, what man can never do, but you alone can do, Jesus. We know the power and the might of your word, the power and the might of your spirit. So we pray and ask you to be in our presence right now, Lord, and that you would speak and we would listen. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed, amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and again open to your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul, as I talked about last week, he 
through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Pastor Paul here says, finally, after all the things that he had been teaching the church of Ephesus, finally, brethren, waiting for that point of when he would get to this topic of armor and the full armor of God. He had given them three chapters on doctrine and what it means to be in Christ Jesus and how when you're in Christ Jesus, you are truly set free. Your heart has been restored, your mind. God can do anything if we have a surrendered heart and come to him willfully. And then he goes on and says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Not in our strength, not in our own capability. He says, but be strong in the Lord and in the power and his might. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's might in the name of God. Please remember the battle is not God versus Satan. Satan's a created being. He's never equal or could be even be on par with God. He's a fallen angel. God is eternal. God has always existed. It's not even a battle that way. It's a battle for the mind. And it's always been a battle. And the evil and the good that's being pervaded by those in Christ Jesus, from those that seek to do destruction, harm, and, and wickedness. But he says, don't wrestle against flesh and blood because that's not where the battle is either. It's not the physical aspect. Now he's more than happy to convince us either of our inadequacies instead of remembering that it's through Christ Jesus that we receive our strength and our righteousness. It's never been by man. It couldn't be. There's not one of us that have ever been good enough on our own. Romans 1 through 3. It convicts all of humanity under sin. Not a single one of us here can ever say, I've arrived. I'm better than anybody else. That's a lie. No, I'm a filthy rag, man. I'm wretched. And it's because the love of Jesus Christ and what he's done in my heart and yours that we're born again. And we've been brought into the kingdom of God and we have been set free not because we could earn it or deserve it. Because that's real grace and that's why it's a gift. So he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Notice that he didn't say that you may be able to fight. That you're to go on the aggressive, you know, you're to kick the devil in the teeth. He doesn't say anything like that. No. He tells us to stand. Now, that seems obvious and may seem simple. Just this last week, man, what a spiritual warfare going on. Oh, did, you know, I, the, the bride of Christ, I never, I wouldn't want to get anybody here sick or anything like that. I'm really protective and protective of the school, nor my, you know, my wife. So we, we, but, you know, you're sitting home, Lord, I long to be with these people. I long to be with my family, my friends. He loves to divide. He loves to conquer. And the thoughts that come through your head, some of you may not know what I'm talking about, but most of you do. It's not the, it's not the sitting there and going, you know, I can't just do it. It's the thoughts of, you know, am I good enough? How dare I stand up there and preach something that I'm a, the chiefest of sinners? You know, I go to work every day and I put on Christ, but am I going through the motions? 
Am I not good enough? You know what I'm talking about. That's the spiritual battle. That's where it comes. You know, the anxiety levels all-time high, the depression all-time low, because you start to think, Lord, is there something wrong with me? We forget that the Bible tells us that the days are evil and we're, we're living in a false, a lost and dying world. Maybe some of us are just more in tune with that reality. He tells us stand. But what are you standing on? What am I standing on? If I form a, a, a mound of sand and I, and, I, and I try to balance on that sand, and the storm comes, what's it going to do? It's going to wash the very foundation out from under me, isn't it? And I'm going to fall, man, like I've fallen in the past for the first 20 plus years of my life because I made my foundation those things that I could intellectually reason or understand. Instead of listening to what God said, when he says, You're the, he's the rock, He's the foundation. The waves can come. The storms can come. The, the, the hurricane-type gales, the wind. Man, it, it wants to knock you off your feet. But the rock doesn't move. Jesus Christ never moves. He's unshakable and unmovable. And when you're standing on that rock, so are you in the victory of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to get a little... Right? Because the wind doesn't just kind of go to everybody but us. No, we'd like that. That's not what happens, though. We feel the wind, don't we? It's real. It's there. We can't see where it comes from or where it's going. But it hurts and it hits. The difference is we stand. Sometimes we might even feel the, 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 the battle coming, so we lean into it thinking that gives us a better posture, right? Uh, put the front foot forward, leaning into it. And all that does is take us further off balance because when the range of the direction of the wind comes, we're caught leaning in a direction God hasn't told us to lean. Rather than just standing and letting the storm go around us or through us because Jesus Christ is our banner and he stands before us. If we're not careful, we can go to the edges, thinking maybe then we'll escape if we just stand just to the side, just enough. We're still in Christ, but, but we're just to the edge, right? One foot in the world, maybe. One foot just holding on to that rock. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves off balance again. And it seems like we always fall towards the direction where there's no foundation. It's not that we fall back to Jesus. We'd like that. But with our foot in the world, we seem to fall towards the world and the understanding of the world. That becomes our truth. And that's why this battle that Paul tells us rages on. He lived he was in prison at this time in shackles as he wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, looking at the two Roman soldiers handcuffed to either side of him. Here's a man that never once 
other than when he was walking before his time as a Christian, certainly stoning and doing terrible things to Christians, but as a Christian, never once did he pick up a weapon to hurt another person. And yet he was treated as though he was the most aggressive criminal on the earth under constant four-hour watch and rotation by these Roman soldiers. Because there's power in the name of Jesus, and the enemy knows it. But who can stand against God? It's futile. He tells us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, because they will come. There are real battles and the darts will fly. And if we don't have our armor, somehow we think it's our job to deflect the arrow or it's our job to dodge the arrow rather than our job just to stand and trust the Lord to fight the battle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He purposes to tell us first, it's not flesh and blood. It's not what you see in Hollywood. You're not going to get thrown against a wall. Now, if you're demon possessed, is that a possibility? Well, yeah, because you're possessed by something. Everyone's possessed by someone. You're either possessed by God Almighty or you're serving the master of this earth, the prince of the air, the devil himself. But I assure you, you're possessed by something and someone. Again, it's not even a battle for God. He's eternal. He created the angels. A third of the angels fell. God is sovereign over it all. It would be like you or I going up to a hammer and going, you know what, I built this hammer with my hand, I forged the steel myself, I've used it as a tool, but now all of a sudden I'm afraid of it? I made that. I have control over that. I use it and wheel it as it fits for my plan or purpose. I may nail, a, nail into a wall or... Painfully, I could take a screw and with the other end of the hammer, I could try to rip a screw out. Is that what it was designed for? No. But if you're the screw, which none of us are, but if you're the screw, what? It, it's, it's drawing our attention to the fact that change, something that's not we're not accustomed to, and isn't that the thing that catches us and blindsides us in the battle? It's not the fear of what we can see coming. It's the fear of the unknown. It's control. It's the thoughts that permeate, that wake us up. Things that we, f we fear. I, I used to work for an insurance company years and years ago before I was in technology and I remember the actuary. They were, they were actuaries that we would reinsure bonds for um, municipalities. And there was a whole floor of actuaries. Very interesting people if you've ever been around actuaries. Very good with numbers. And they walk around with a whole lot of data in their head. 
And I could often remember, you know, they would be having conversations about policies that were being written for cities and what if this storm or this trial or, you know, things. And they would say that 95% of what all humans actually worry about will never, ever happen in their lifetime. They know that. That's why they insure you and I. They're not in the business to lose money, by the way. Just, you know, it's not the goodness of their heart. They're in business to make money. That's what they do. It's capitalist. So here they go, and they insure us, right? They know that the, the other 5% low are things that most of us have never th thought of. I mean, really, never thought of. Those are the things that should keep us up at night. Praise God, we don't know what they are, and they don't keep us up at night. But the lies that come through, when we take them captive and begin to believe them, they can overwhelm us, can't they? Because that's the battle. He tells us that when we're surrendered, fully surrendered, Romans 12, 1 through 4, when we not only surrender, but we then turn around and we don't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. We're not conformed to this world system. But we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, by reading what? The word of God. It's only then that we effectively take those thoughts captive and cast them out in the name of Jesus Christ. But he wants us to know we have enemies. But they're not interested in trying to strike your flesh as much as they'd like to incapacitate your mind by convincing you that you're inadequate. You're not able to serve. You're not able to do it. You better just stay home, stay away. It's safer that way. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. I'm so glad he says that. We're to stand, and then he says you withstand. In the evil day, we read in, what, Ephesians chapter 5, that the days are evil. We're living in the last days. And having done all to what? Stand. He doesn't say lean into the aggression. He doesn't say pull. He says just stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Why does he begin there? Of anything else, he could have started anywhere. He could have said, and having carried your Glock 938, or if you prefer concealed carry, your 43X, or if you're Sig Sauer kind of guy, P238. Okay, I'm not going to, everybody's unity, all right, unity. He didn't say that, does he? He says, truth. Do you see that truth? Why is that so foundational? Because the world would have you convinced that there is no truth, that there is no absolutes, and that through relativism, relativism, you can believe whatever you want to believe, and that's good for you, and maybe that's good for somebody else. But friends, that's contrary to what the scriptures teach. Can't be both ways. They're mutually exclusive. What God is telling us is that truth is in high demand today. You can be polarized. You can turn on your news. You can turn on the radio and quickly become polarized to one place or the other. 
whichever one you believe is telling you more truth. But there's only one place I know that I can go 100% of the time to get unfiltered, perfect love, God-given truth, and that is the Word of God, 100% of the time. It's not fickle. It's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't tell me what I want to hear. It often tells me sometimes what I don't want to hear, but need to hear. Yes, conviction happens. But along with conviction, so comes love. The love of Jesus Christ. Amen? He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, let's take a moment to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Let's together look at verse 7. Look what he says in actually verse 6. Let me back up one. He says, By purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere, that's without wax, that's genuine, love, by the word of truth. By the power of God. What did he say? By the word of what? Truth. Where do we find word again? In the word of God. Where do we find truth? In the word. They go hand in hand. That's what we see here. By the word of truth. By the power of God. By the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Certainly in context, he's speaking about the fruit of the spirit. But he's also telling us right here about what? About truth that can be found in the word. And that's our source of truth. If you want to know where real truth is, pick up your Bibles, friends, and read the word of God. And your heart will be set free. And you longer will be a captive to unrighteousness, but you will begin to see what God has already planned. You see, the enemy doesn't want you to read the Bible because if you read Genesis through Revelation, as we on Wednesdays, we're reading through the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, and on Sundays we're just finishing up the book of Ephesians today. The whole counsel of God we read. He doesn't want you to know that Jesus Christ has victory. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. The battle is won. Amen. The battle's won. He doesn't want you to know that. Because if he can th make you think that there's no hope, you begin to live a life of hopelessness. And it's not until you see the power and might of God that you realize the victory you have in the way you have overcome. That's what he's showing us here. So he tells us, look, he, he says, by the word of truth, by the power of God. Then he tells us that we need to put this belt on if you turn back. Stand there, having girding your waist with truth. What happens when you don't put your belt on in the morning? You walk out of your house and your, your trousers, your pants fall down, right? And you're exposed. We don't like being exposed, do we? No. Because then all of the elements can come at us. But we got our belt on. That's important. 
Now think of a Roman soldier and how important his belt was. Because after all, Paul was in prison chained to two of them. Very, very clearly pointed. We'll read Isaiah in a minute, how I believe the Holy Spirit gave that to him. He's probably reading Isaiah as he was writing this. I don't know, but it, it could be by the Lord because I don't believe in coincidences. But you think of your, well, your belt and this, the pants, right? The belt in that day also had the ability to have a clip that would go on for the shield. So the, bre the breastplate of righteousness, which protected all the vital organs, would clip through a leather, kind of like a leather cord or leather tassel would be tied onto it. And it would be adhered to the belt, knowing that if you put the shields together, you formed a covering and a protection point from every direction, north, south, east, west, including the top and below. You were protected against any arrows, fiery darts. Can you imagine Paul's mind being blown as he's in prison and the Lord is revealing this to him from Isaiah and he's sitting there reading this and he's like, direct revelation, he's like, this is it. And he's like, guys, do you know why you actually have those weapons? And then he begins to turn around and give a, a message to the Roman soldiers and they get saved. Can you, I, I know that's what was happening. It was a divine appointment. It was a prison ministry, man. It was prison ministry. Well, it begins with the foundation of truth. What's your foundation this morning? Is it something you concocted yourself? Or is it built on Jesus, the only true, sure foundation? Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, a breastplate covers and guards all of your what? Vital organs. Again, I mentioned that there would have been a, a leather tassel that would come off it that would hook onto the belt to keep it close. This isn't a little circle shield. This is a oblong shield here and a place that you could also wear. You know, like people would take it off and use it as armor or you would wear it as a piece of armor on your physical body, your frame. It could be used as either one. If you had dropped your regular shield, you could actually take that and use that. But in this case, he's speaking of it on the body to protect and guard the heart. Because you know what? In the spiritual battles, your heart will be hit. Your heart will be torn. But please remember, Jesus Christ is the one that is able to come in and enlarge the heart. He doesn't just repair the heart. As scripture tells us, he enlarges the heart. And then he begins to heal the heart. Leaving it far better than when he first found it. As only the great physician can do. You know, I, I kind of joked in first service. I said, you know, my way of going in and dealing with things that are deep-rooted in the heart is like, you know, I'd get out the gas, you know, tiller and boom, fire that thing up, and I'd go right at the acre of land, and I'd be ripping everything up. You know, I don't care if there's tomato bushes. I'd be like, oh, we're tilling it up. We're doing, I don't know, what's a weed and what's a vine. I'd just till everything. Come back, look at my bride. Lisa, look what I did. Look at this. You know, ha, ah, you know, it's all just, look at it all, the dirt, everywhere, it's everywhere, it's great. I'd have mud all over my face and be like, yeah. And Lisa would look and say, look at all that you've destroyed. What did you preserve in any of that? And she'd be right to say so. No, I destroyed everything. See, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus comes in with a fine-tuned instrument and he goes in and he takes in your heart those things that don't belong as a born-again believer, and he starts to surgically remove those. Now, they, they still hurt. It plucks when it comes out. Oh, 
but it's not like driving a Mack truck over your heart. It's not how I would do it. He goes in and he gently removes these things. You know, it's what we read in John 3 with John the Baptist. Do you remember they came up to him and John, look at the disciples. They're all following him. Why are they not? You know, he's over there baptizing. And what about us? John's whole ministry, a year and a half. His whole life culminated in a year and a half ministry. Which he would be beheaded in prison for standing up to the Herod at that point. For adultery. For what was wrong. Calling sin, sin. But at that point when he came to them, he said, Look, and he said, first, I must decrease so that he can what? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that. I must decrease so he could what? Increase, that's right. But something happens, has to happen first. It's I have to decrease so that he increases. It's not him increasing that's going to cause my decreasing. No, I have to willfully do what? Surrender. Surrender all. And it's in so decreasing that he comes in and he plucks that thing out and he enlarges my heart and Christ begins to increase in me, in you. That's what he wants to do. That's the work of sanctification. So look what he continues to say here. He says that you would put on this breastplate of righteousness. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 59, please. Isaiah 59. Turn in your Bibles. I can't wait till the smartphones come out with an app that makes it go whoosh, 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 like it's turning pages. That's an audio effect I'm all about, right? Most of the time I'm like, silence your phones, turn off your phones. Can't wait till those smartphones that are, you go like you're turning a page. Isaiah chapter 59, right? Look with me at verse 16. We'll actually back up really to the latter half of 15b. We'll start with 15b. Then the Lord saw it and, and it displeased him that there was no justice he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness had sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of what? Salvation. Do you see that there? On his head, he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and he was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, according he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear. The name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. It's God that does the fighting in the battle. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My Spirit who is upon them and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants 
nor from the mouth of your descendants and descendants, says the Lord, from this time forevermore. God is faithful forevermore. His word never changes. We can expect that same hope today because his word never changes. Our circumstances change, but our God doesn't. And he tells us to put on that breastplate of righteousness. What about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A few books to your right. This is speaking of the day of the Lord. It is speaking of truth, and it's describing the truth that we find in that last days. Please understand, we're living in the last of the last days, but we are not in the great tribulation, okay? Everybody, amen? We're not, I mean, the Bible te teaches us very clearly, in that great tribulation, it'll be like nothing else humanity's ever seen on earth. We today may think things are difficult. It's nothing compared to what's coming. And he's warning us. He's actually going to tell the church in Thessalonica, I don't even need to warn you about these things. He says, you know the times and the season. You're paying attention. He says, but I will explain these things to you. But concerning the times, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, more that was, that was declared more times this, this year from the United Nations than any other times combined in past. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as a labor pain upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. You know, labor pains, ladies that have had children. It didn't come on you, and then you go, wow, this is really spreading out. Like, it was so intense in the beginning, every 30 seconds, but now it's like once an hour or something, right? And it didn't turn around and be like, man, this was really heavy, and now it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter. No, my wife, who had four children, uh, was gracious to remind me during those moments of child delivery, uh, the intense pain. I watched as I, I was helpless, unable to take her pain from her. In my heart was, guys, you know what I'm talking about. When you, when you look at your beloved and they're in that kind of pain and, and you want to take that pain from them. And I watched as she, you know, in each, each pregnancy, you know, it, it seemed to hasten. It seemed to come quicker. You know, the first one was pretty quick. By the fourth child, it was you know, we need to go. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to get a quick shower because normally you had like 15 to 20 minutes. I'm just going to jump in the shower before we head to the hospital. She's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, 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 no. She's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, oh, okay, we got to go. <laughs> right? In that moment, I'm tracking. I'm tracking what she's saying. We got to go. I'm in the car, man. I think I'm like, you know, Andretti. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get there. You know, no, I, you know, uh, I don't know that I obeyed all the speed limits, but I, I got her there. I remember the, the, the Lord sent like a, an angel and this nurse comes out and she's like, do you need a wheelchair? My wife didn't have to say a word. I'll get one, she said. And, I'm, and I remember, where, where do I park the car? And the, 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 the angel, the nurse looked right at me like, get with your wife. What are you thinking about your car? Leave the car there. Who cares? I just left the car. I don't even know. I don't even remember I left it running or what happened. I just remember we got in, we're going upstairs and they're like, you're ready. And she's like, I, I'm telling you I'm ready. And I'm like, oh man, it's really intense. It's in a lot of pain. She's really starting. My heart's just like, oh man. And you know, I'm watching the doctor scrub up and I'm watching my wife start to bear down and push. I'm like, something ain't right here. 
doctor needs to get over here. And she's like, it's coming. And I'm like, I know it is. You. I literally caught the baby. I delivered the baby. I caught the baby. I just went. And I joked at first service. I was like, I should have sent them the bill. Right? I should have sent them the bill for that. I literally caught the baby. And I remember thinking how precious, how amazing. And I watched my wife. And I just thought to myself, Lord, this is a very miracle before my eyes each and every time. The way that you've done this. And just... But the point was, is every single time during it, the pain increased. It was, it was more, faster, quicker, to the point of we didn't even know. I didn't, not we, she knew. I didn't even know, like, it's time, and you better have your hands out because little Joshy's coming. And it's time to play softball, you know, catch. I mean, I could see her at home right now. That ain't funny. That ain't funny. She's probably still, that ain't funny. But that's what he's warning us and he's telling us. I want you to think about that in the days we're living. Think about how fast things are changing today. How quickly. You know, I was growing up, we had fads and, you know, you, a cool pair of high top sneakers. How many, how many people remember high top sneakers? A cool pair, yeah, man, right? Come on, I'm not the only one. I know some of you did, all right. High top sneakers, man. And like, if Jordan wore them, you had to have them, right? Or somebody wore them, you had to have them, right? So, man, you go out and get your high-top sneakers. You saved up. Mom saved up. Dad saved up. You finally got them. Those were, like, the coolest thing for, like, two years, man. You walked around. You didn't even want to play basketball in them at first because you didn't want to ruin them, right? And you know that if you did play basketball, you got home, and what did you do? You're taking soap and water, and you're washing them off, right? You're like, man, these are – I think I jumped higher today. I, I, I must have jumped a foot higher, right? Your friends are all like, yeah, yeah, you must have. You know, it was, it was exciting. Today – with social media, these fads come out in a week and they're over in two. You can't even keep up. I mean, you're wearing something from last week and they're like, that's out, man. You're a poser. You're like, what? <laughs> and meanwhile, these things are like 200 bucks. See how expensive sneakers have gotten? Man alive, you got to be rich to keep buying sneakers. Like, it is expensive. But it's that... It's that idea of these last days. More and more is coming quicker and quicker. We can't keep up. You can't keep, it's, it's happening so fast and so quickly, we can't even track it mentally. We gotta be in prayer. We're living in the last of the last days. He said it would be like this up to the coming of the great tribulation, and then it's gonna go at a pace nobody's ever seen. Nobody's ever seen. Look what he says. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that in this day should not overtake you. You will not be overtaken, believer. You and your sons of light and the sons of the day, we are not the night or of the darkness. He says it. This is exclusive. You can't be both. Believers can't be demon-possessed. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. This week I was home, as I told you. I kind of quarantined just out of safety and protection. wanted to protect my brothers and sisters here and what have you and waiting for the test results to be negative. And I did a Bible study with the family. So we opened up, you know, yesterday I just read uh, First Thessalonians. just read the whole book to them, went line by line and verse by verse in the, in the living room. Little Josh, he's nine years old. He turned around. He, therefore, let us not sleep. He says, Dad, am I, am I not supposed to sleep anymore? <laughs> He says, what does this mean? Am I, I'm going to go to bed and I'll stay awake all night? And I said, well, son, that's not exactly what he's saying. He's telling us to be ready and be on guard. 
It's as though we sleep because we heal when we sleep, but we're always ready. As, as son, in, in a Galilean wedding, the bride was at her house and she was always ready. But do you remember the bridegroom? The bridegroom would be sitting in his father's house. His room would already be prepared where he was going to bring the bride over to live. And it was the father that had to come to the bridegroom to say, go get your bride. And it could be a year. It could be a little bit more than a year. He didn't know. It was when the Lord spoke and woke up the father, you know, and the God, the father spoke to the father of the family and said, wake up your son. Tell him to go get his bride. And that's the picture we've been given for Jesus Christ, that he is coming again and he will rapture us out of here. He's going to come get his bride. But he turns around and he's excited, right? The bridegroom's excited. He can't wait to get his bride. And so he turns around and he, and can you imagine, you know, I remember growing up, you know, Christmas, man, carnal in a way. You know, I knew that next morning might be a gift. I had also put a gift together, you know, made something in class and school for my mom, you know, my dad. I couldn't wait to give him that. I wanted him to see it, be so proud of me. I made him a little gift. I don't know what I'd make him. They always, I, they treated it like it was the best thing I could ever give. I don't even remember all the years. And they, I, but I could only see my dad, Garley, going, you know, my mother was always more gracious. I love it, honey. I love this. My dad just like, yeah, I need another tie or I need another paper clip. You know, no, he was very good, very gracious that way. But I remember that feeling. Do you remember that when you'd go to bed? Even if it was, um, you were going to have a nice dinner. You know, I, I looked forward, I'm a foodie. I looked forward to the food the next day. Like we'd have a nice turkey dinner or like ham or roast beef or something like that. And I, and, you know, I grew very poor. And so I knew like this was a big deal. We were going to eat. And so I can remember the next day it was going to be like you were going to have leftovers. And so, I, you know, four brothers, one sister, it, it, everything went quick. So I can remember this and man, I couldn't sleep sometimes. My belly would be growling, hastening the next morning, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and what was coming. I know Jesus is in heaven right now, so desiring when he's coming for us, so excited for when the Father tells him, go get your bride, you and I, because he knows like we know the times are hastening. They're going quicker. It's happening. He says in the great tribulation, tribulation, there will not be a, if it wasn't from God holding his hand, there would not have been a single soul alive. He says even the wealthy at that point, even all those that are, are, are you know, uh, made men of themselves, if you will, he says even they will be hiding in clefts of rocks. No one will escape it because it's the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 6. So he's telling you to be watchful. He says, know the days you're living. That's what we're to be mindful, not distracted with the cares of this world, but be mindful of that, of what's going on. Don't sleep as others do, but let us be watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, drunk at night. 
distractions. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's appointed you and I. Salvation. And he's also appointed us not to wrath, but to our Lord Jesus Christ. Right above that in verses 15 through 18 in chapter 4, we read about the parousia, which is the second coming, and we read about the harpazo, which is the rapture. We have a book in our library across the way there in our bookstore, a little bookstore. We made it free of charge. It's something I wrote about the harpazo and the rapture. I encourage you to get it and read it and study it. God didn't want us to walk around wondering about the days we're living. He wanted us to be engaged in the work of the ministry. That's why we're here being equipped for that work. But we need to get, we need to be girded, we need to be ready. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Where do we get this righteous breastplate from? This right living? Where does it come from? This righteousness? Is it something we actually possess or have ourselves? We don't, do we? Look at verse 21 in chapter 5. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the righteousness of Christ that, that's given to us and becomes imputed to us. That's right living. You can turn back. Verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean, to have shod your feet? To put on the shoes, the sandals. This idea in the Greek, if a Roman soldier had a sandal, but on the bottom of the sandal were spikes. Because he knew the difference between winning a battle and winning a fight was actually being able to hold your place, to be able to be dug in when you stand. Not to lose your gripping or your footing. Because if you lose your gripping your footing, you could fall. So he alludes to the fact that the spikes with the Roman soldiers allowed you to dig into that sure foundation. And I'll tell you what, if you dig into stone, something that is immovable or unshakable, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. But you ever try to put those little spikes on in the sand? It's like you're not even wearing spikes. You just, your feet just gets plowed around and all the sand goes around it. Nothing firm as a foundation, that truth again. That's what he's saying here. Look with me at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, please. Look at verse 15. And how shall they preach? unless they are sent. One of the last things that Jesus Christ did before he ascended, as he was speaking to all the disciples and the apostles, Matthew chapter 28, he said, go forth and baptize. This not coming weekend, we have our baptism next Sunday. We have our baptism um, picnic, baptism and picnic. I hope you'll all join us. We're going to be outside. It'll be a wonderful time. We'll have a time of fellowship, food, and uh, we'll package everything individually to protect everybody and all that. 
but we're going to have a baptism. We're going to have a baptistry set up and people will get baptized. And it's always invited and open to the community if they want to come forward and accept Jesus Christ and get baptized. Any of you want to be baptized? It's a wonderful time. But how shall they preach unless they are sent? Because in Matthew 20 to 18, he says, go, go, every one of us. You don't have to go necessarily to Africa or Antarctica. <clears throat> go means walk outside your house, walk out of these four walls and walk into somebody else's life and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach unless it is sent, right? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What's he speaking about here? This idea of a gospel of peace, you know. I think back to Isaiah 52, 7. I wonder if this is where Paul, as I was mentioning earlier, was he sitting in that jail cell and he was saying, Lord, the soldiers and the shoes that they have as he's looking down at their, their you know, feet, footing and, and their shoes and the spikes, was he thinking of Isaiah 52? Was he, was he thinking as he's read that he was raised in the scriptures that way, right? Was he thinking of that and, you know, looking... Look at verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings and good things, who proclaims what? Salvation. Do you see that? Hundreds of years, over 700 or more, before Jesus Christ was physically on the earth, he had already given this word. Here Paul is, somewhere around eighty sixty-five, sitting in this cell next to these two prison, or next to these two soldiers in this prison, recalling Isaiah 52.7, looking at the shoes and realizing, are they shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? The only thing that can bring true peace to humanity, the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. Don't walk out of here without asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You can walk out of here with the assurance that whatever happens, you and Jesus will be together for eternity, absent with the body, present with the Lord. So he goes on and he says, Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift their voice. With their eyes they shall sing together, for they shall, shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. And he will do that. At his second coming, when he comes, the millennial reign, we come back with him. We will see all of Israel brought into the fold because all will receive new hearts and call upon the name of the Lord and will believe. And we're going to get to see it. If you haven't been to Israel, you'll get there. Even if you don't get on a physical plane and make the trip while you're here on earth, you'll go up and come back down and you'll get there. Let that be a word of encouragement. If that's longing in your heart to get to Israel, you will one day if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, 
Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Please notice with me, he didn't say that there wasn't going to be fiery darts. He didn't say there wasn't going to be a storm. He didn't say there wasn't going to be oppression and affliction. There are, every day, valleys and hills or mountains and valleys. What did he tell us, though? He said that you can quench, circle that in your Bible, all Please circle that. He didn't say some of the fiery darts. Anything that's coming at you. God has promised if you put on this armor and the shield of faith, because your faith is only as good as what you place it in. If you place your faith in something temporal, you're going to be sorely disappointed. We couldn't save ourselves. There's not a one of us in here that if we went and stood in the middle of the road could save ourselves from oncoming traffic. Only Jesus Christ who's sovereign, who created all things, and by him all things exist. Only is he the example of the resurrection of the first fruits. Because of that, we can quench those fiery darts. Look at 1 John chapter 5, please. 1 John chapter 5 in your Bibles, please. Look at verses 1 through 5. And I hope every one of you can declare this this morning. If you can't, please don't leave here until you can. The Lord is speaking to your heart this morning. It's not coincidence. If there's anybody here, do not leave until these things have been settled. 1 John chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, there's a willingness to do it. For whoever or whatever is born of God overcomes the world. We have overcome. We're overcomers. It doesn't mean we don't have anxiety or depression. It doesn't mean we don't have affliction. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. We do. But we have victory. And we are the overcomers. And how do they have overcome? How have they done it? And this is the victory that he has overcome the word, the world, excuse me, our faith. It's by faith that we overcome. Do you see that? Underline that in your Bibles. It's by faith. We have to be able to give a defense to why we believe in the hope that we have. It's through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are overcomers. It's not through what we do. It's not a workspace mentality. We don't do the works and then somehow earn favor with God. No, it's, it's an outcome of believing in Jesus Christ that we then desire to serve him, and that outcome is then doing the works of God. One precedes the other. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 tells us, Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you can't declare that this morning, that I know, that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the God of Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the great I am. If you can't declare that this morning, then you are separated from Jesus. And that's not his desire. He loves you. You are the apple of his eye. He only wants relationship with you and you alone. He would go to the cross again if it was just you. Because he's madly in love with you. 
And he has the gift of grace, the ability to take all of sin, and he has done it. No matter what you've done, no matter whether you don't even understand it. It's not a requirement. The requirement is to believe in your heart and to profess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. If you'll do that this morning, you can walk out of here with the greatest gift ever that nobody can ever snatch from you. Nobody can steal your joy. Nobody can take these things from you. Yes, you will have affliction. Yes, you will have, you know, oppression and persecution. Welcome to the family of God. But you will not be alone. You will have a family knit with you. This week when I was out, the spiritual warfare that was coming at me, and all I kept envisioning in the Lord is hand in hand, gathered together, linked tightly, knowing that there was an angel before them, that God Almighty himself was preserving the church, preserving the school, going ahead of the children, going ahead of the teachers, going ahead of the office staff, doing everything, and that it was all well protected by God. And that the brothers and sisters were praying for us. And that we are not alone. And we will not be defeated by the battle of the mind. But we will take every thought captive. Surrender to God. Not of this world system. Being renewed by the reading of the word of God. Washing of the mind. To know that what is good and true and the perfect will of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. That is what awaits you too this morning. You walk out of here with a family. If you hear this on the radio, you're watching online, and you prayed that in your heart, you now belong to the greatest family ever, the family of God. And you are going to be able to attend, in your last breath, the greatest family reunion ever where all the saints will be gathered together, praising and casting crowns to the very feet of the one who is worthy, Jesus Christ. And that's all because of your faith and trust and belief in Jesus. That's why it's such an essential part of this armor, because it quenches the fiery darts. What if I'm not saved? What if there's something wrong with me? What if I'm crazy? What if all these things? Yes, 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 I am. But Jesus loves me. And in spite of how I think of myself, I'm his son before I was ever a pastor. I'm his child. And I'm dear to him. And my father is dear to me. If you want that, just ask him right now into your heart. He's been knocking and there's no coincidence. You're here for a reason. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's very important. That helmet back then, by the way, how many of you saw football from the 50s and 60s? Remember the old leather helmets? That's what the Roman soldiers wore. Leather helmets, man. You know, they put those leather helmets on. Sometimes they would wear a little beret or a you know, feather or something off it to kind of say what team they're on or what rank they might be. But they would have that on, man, and they would, they would wear that. And they would turn around and somehow that was going to protect them, you know. Let me, let me tell you uh, firsthand, well, a story of someone I know, a secondhand account. 
gentleman I knew many, many years ago, I met him, and it'll help you to understand what the helmet of salvation really is. Very true story. He had uh, 12, I think it was 11 or 12 children. And as you can imagine, in a house like that, in a house of four children like us, it's never quiet. There's always somebody in some room, something going on. If you've got one child, it's like that, right? There's always something happening at the house. Well, he proceeds to come home after going to a brunch in the morning. His wife freed him to go to a brunch. He was a Christian, a believer. And he returned home, and he comes to the house, and he walks through the door, and it was eerily quiet. For the first time, like, ever. I mean, 12 kids, probably been 20 plus years. It's really quiet. And he's almost taken aback by that at first, kind of like, huh, they must be all out in the backyard or upstairs. So he's looking around. He doesn't see him anywhere downstairs. He then proceeds to walk upstairs. He's going to change his shirt because he had an undershirt on. He's going to take his nice shirt off and just keep his undershirt for, you know, being home now. And as he went upstairs into his bedroom, out of the corner of his eye, he saw the bathroom door was open. He went in and he was going to use the bathroom. As he goes in, the first thing he sees is his wife down on the ground and a pool of blood around her. And his first experience is looking at the blood and thinking, what do I say at this moment? Obviously, are you okay is not, the blood is everywhere. What's going on? He proceeds to look at her and he sees the pool of blood and he just says, hello. He didn't have anything else. He didn't know what else to say. He didn't have words. His beloved on the ground like that. And as he starts to sort of narrow his focus in, he notices that her hands are going like this. And she has something in her hands that she's holding on so tightly to. And she says, hi. She says, I want to introduce you to someone. He says, okay. He walks over and he gets down on his knees and he sits in the blood with her. And he says, this is Grace. I want you to meet your daughter, Grace. And at that moment, so many thoughts were raging through his mind. And he just looked up and he looked at her almost as though she was wearing an actual helmet. And it was the helmet of salvation. It was that which was protecting her mind and girding her mind. And she stood there and she said, isn't she beautiful? He said, oh, yes. And she said, we're going to be together in heaven again. And there's no one or nothing that can stop it. And it's going to be beautiful. And he said, yeah. You see, the helmet of salvation is what that woman had on when she didn't look at the temporal of what was going on here and now and the limitations of what she could see before her. But the helmet of salvation was what allowed her to see the eternal as Jesus Christ sees it. Knowing that grace one day is going to run up and jump in mommy's lap and say, I am so glad to see you, mommy. I have waited and longed to be with you. As Jesus hands her to her. And for the dad to welcome that day. That's the helmet of salvation.
That's what he's telling us to put on. That with the craziness of the things we see of this world, the affairs of this life, that we begin to look at it with the eternal and not the temporal. But friends, that only awaits a believer in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine Paul as he's sitting there saying, Lord, I have a captured office. I have a prison ministry. I have a captured audience office here. There's these handcuffed to these two men that are wearing helmets. They're just wearing the wrong ones. He knew that they needed the gospel of peace. Something that's going to be true peace. He then goes into prayer, our mighty weapon. He says in verse 18, and we're going to get ready to close here, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. Now he's turning and asking for prayer for him, that the utterance may be given to me, that I may be able to open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that, it, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, there's all kinds of prayer today. Every Sunday at 6 p.m., we have prayer here together. You know, I talk with the pastors in this area. I've talked to Chris. I've talked to Tom over in Lebanon, uh, Chris and Chester. I've talked to York, you know, Harry. I've talked to all the guys, you know, Doug and Delta, every one of them. We still can't figure out in the days we're living why Sunday night corporate prayer is standing room only. And everything that's going on around us, why we can't take an hour out of our lives to intercede. And that's what he's calling out here. We are prayer warriors interceding for one another. What is so important in our lives that we cannot spare an hour to come together and lift up the body, lift up the government, lift up the people around us? They're in need. But no, I won't force anybody and I won't browbeat anybody. It must be a desire of the heart. All kinds of prayer, corporate prayer tonight at six as an example, individual prayer, silent prayer, walking prayer, right? Kneeling prayer, groaning prayer, constant prayer, and fervent prayer. First Thessalonians 5.16, I believe, is pray without ceasing. Intercessory prayer. Who is it for? For all the saints. He's telling us we must pray for each other. We can't battle spiritually on our own. On our own behalf, we must also battle on behalf of others. The Christian isn't just concerned with his own life and safety. He's concerned with others. He's called with an instinct to protect each other. We're to protect each other here. We're to come together and rise up. He asked them for prayer and he said boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Again, he could have prayed for anything for himself, but he wanted boldness. Did you see that? He wanted boldness. Paul, the apostle, just like Peter when he was in and out of prison, what did Peter pray for? Boldness. In these last days, we need boldness in prayer, don't we? That's my prayer. Will you pray for that for me? Every time I step up here, will you pray for me? Pray for my family. That we can be bold in these last days. I'm praying that for you, every one of you. This is that utterance can be given to me. 
that he could give the gospel clearly, frequently, and fearless with the power it's intended to be given. Unless we forget, Paul says, I am an ambassador in chains. He meant that literally. The idea is shackles. Paul considers his prison chains actually to be a glorious adornment of his ambassador being an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. But you may also may know the affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you or with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So Tychicus, right, his brother, four different places. You can read in your Bible, Acts chapter 20, verse 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, sorry, 2 Timothy, no, it's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Forgive me. Be Bereans. I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. In each case, Tychicus or, seems to be a, brother that Paul used as a messenger. He says that you may know our affairs or my affairs. Paul wanted him to comfort those in Ephesus and any, anyone else who would read this letter, you and I this morning, to be a comforter, to know we're not alone. Even those people watching online right now, you're not alone. This is your family and it's the body of Christ. Certainly if there's conditions why you can't be here, we want you to be safe at home. But if you can, we want you to be together, arm in arm with us, not forsaking the gathering of the saints. And then he leaves us with a blessing, verses 23 and 24, these final words he says to us. Peace to the brethren. Grace be with those who love the Lord Jesus. He concludes the letter the way he began, with grace and peace. These are two essentials for the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And then he says, all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. This is not just a agape unconditional love. Yes, it is, but it's more. It means without wax. Sincerity is sincere. It means genuine, literally, right? It means uncorruptedness. The idea behind it may be used of an undying love. Do you have an undying love this morning for Jesus? Our love for the Lord should be undying. And so how does he end this? He pronounces a blessing for you all. As he pronounced a blessing for those in Ephesus, they, they were to read that letter. But then a blessing was just pronounced on you and I this morning. You here, myself, all of us. The Lord God has pronounced a blessing over us. Speaking of that undying love. I invite you all to stand. Uh, Zach, will you come up for a closing song? We're going to pray. I'm grateful that you all came to hear of the Lord Jesus. More grateful I am that you stayed under his word. And most grateful I am that you received the blessing he has for you this morning. And that you will continue to take that blessing out of these four walls into the mission field that lies before you. I hope to see you at corporate prayer tonight. But most importantly, I hope that Jesus has direct 
relationship with you every moment of every day until you are hand in hand with him again. Father, as you've just overheard and we pray these things, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful book of Ephesians. I can't imagine what it would be like not to have this book in our Bible. In the word of God, you've given us the instruction, your love letters. The first three chapters dedicated to the doctrine, our relationship with you, your relationship with us, and the last three dedicated to application, how we're to live out the Christian faith. And even now, Lord, the last chapter, finally, my brethren, believers, to put on the armor, to be withstand all of the fiery darts from the enemy. God, we believe. We believe. We will follow and obey as we read. And we want to intercede and lift up all those around us, Lord, all the churches throughout the whole world. Lord, that you will move on the hearts of your believers to stand regardless of the storm. And God, I pray for a lost and dying world that, Lord, there will be many that come to Christ. Lord, whether it's protesters or rioters, whoever, Lord, the government, my own neighborhood, Lord Jesus, the neighborhood of the church, Lord, that we would all come into the ammunition and love of Jesus Christ as we praise you. And Lord, we receive this blessing. I pray you pour your blessing out upon your people here this morning and that they will walk in the gentleness and peace of your truth with great joy, Lord. Thank you, Father. Jesus, we pray all these things through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. In your name, God. Amen.
God bless you all. I love you all. Go forth in the love of Jesus Christ. If you've accepted Christ here this morning, I want you to come forward. I'm going to give you a Bible. If you did it online, call us and let us know. We want to send you a Bible. We love you. Welcome to the family of Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Have a great day.